Welcome back, everyone in the Off the Ball Network fandom and beyond to another episode of the Bunts and Bruises podcast. As always, coming at you with baseball and hockey talk galore, as well as a little other sports sprinkled in to the agenda on a weekly basis. So don't worry, we got you covered on all fronts because we are two Swiss Army Knives here. Of course, as always, it is myself, Jerg, coming at you guys every single week. And of course, my partner in crime, the baseball savant. He is the Mike Trout of this show, ladies oh, and gentlemen. stop it. <laughs> my stop guy. Stop it. James Barcia. James, how are you doing? I mean, like I say every week, Jerry, when you introduce me like that, man, it's hard not to be in a good mood. But, you know, I'm doing great this week because, like I told you earlier this week, last week, I passed my first certification exam in my uh, technical school. There was... Uh, I was just in Maine this weekend, so that was pretty cool. And tons of baseball stories happened. Tons of stories left and right happened. Apparently, Jake Paul wants to fight DC. Oh, no. But we're not going to talk about that That this episode. We'll save that for next time. But other than that, let's get right to it, Jerk. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, a very eventful weekend. I remember talking to you about a very eventful. I, funny enough, I myself have been to Maine once. It was nice. So hope you enjoyed a little bit of it when you had to make your drive up there. But moving on from that, you know, it, it's funny, James, you were at the essentially, I believe the uh, northeasternmost point in the U.S. map in Maine. I believe Maine is the highest um, uh, state in the map. I, I, uh, excuse me for my poor geography. I did not care to remember the states on the map when I was a child, unlike most people. So we go from your journey, James, into the northeasternmost part of the country all the way out west this week. It is going to be a West Coast heavy baseball show, a show in general, actually, this week with our segment at the end. Don't forget that. Uh, but we will begin with probably the most quiet 13-game winning streak that ever happened in sports, at least of recent years. Uh, so for all of our baseball fans, of course, you know James and myself. We got you, especially James. And James, I remember pointing this out to you uh, you know, in the text uh, just a few days ago. The Oakland Athletics were on quite the tear. So they ended up racking up a 13-game winning streak over the last couple of weeks. Just ended uh, last night. Well, I don't know if it was a night game, but yesterday, essentially, to the Baltimore Orioles, funny enough. So it, it, that seems like an athletic thing to happen. But the the point of this was the fact that they went on a 13-game winning streak. And they started, I believe it was 0-6 on the season, and I think 1-7. Mm-hmm. So two different times, it, uh, six games below 500, easy can make easily can make up for it when it comes to a 13-game winning streak. So, James, kind of break down to the people that maybe, like myself, kind of didn't realize the A's went on this quick little hot run here. Like, what would just, what happened to this team that they just completely flipped the script uh, to this point? The Bats just woke up, Jerk. Like you said, they started 0-6. This never, ever happens. They're actually the first team ever to win at least 11 in a row. Forget the 13 in a row. They're the first ever win 11 in a row after an 0-6 start. Uh, many of the players said themselves, when you start 0-6, it's just, oh, no. You know, like how it's almost impossible to dig yourself out of that. But they found a way. They had a will. There was a way. And they won 13 games in the last 17 days. Just think about it. That's insane. So there was only the four days of rest. They beat the Astros, the Diamondbacks, Tigers, Twins, and the Orioles. Yes, this isn't the biggest heavy-hitting bunch, but to win 13 games straight, is that takes a lot. It takes the whole entire team. It takes your bullpen, it takes the starters, and it takes your offense, more importantly. I mean, that was the biggest issue right now with this Oakland team. Uh, they were a struggle to wake up the bats. But Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, all the stars who last year were struggling woke up this year. They actually were destroying these other teams. They, by average, were winning about 6-3. The total run differential was they scored 81 runs to 36. So in all these games, they were just straight up blowing these teams out. Uh, Only two games were actually decided by the final at-bat. We call that walk-off for my casual fans. And both walk-offs actually came on errors by the opposing team. So, yes, it took a little bit of luck and a little bit of magic, but it all worked out at the end. This is actually the third longest win streak in A's history. Uh, The first one is the 20-game streak in 2002 as everyone knows from the movie famous Moneyball starring Brad Pitt love the movie but uh that movie is based off of uh G- Oakland GM Billy Bean and he's actually people say the father of analytics in baseball so 
Love the movie. Hate you, Billy Bean, because you're ruining the sport, <laughs> man. Uh, and the second was 14 games in 1988. So, yeah, man, they just they figured it out. They put it together. And it, like you said, Jerg, it was the sneakiest win streak in the entire league because I didn't even really have my eye on it until you mentioned it. I didn't even realize that. It, funny enough, I, I felt I, I remembered they started 0-3, right? And then I checked out from the A's after that. And the next thing I see is they by the 12th game, I remember sending it to you like, James, when did they go on the streak? <laughs> it, it, it was just the most unexpected thing. Again, showing how little I care about baseball this early into the season. I apologize, baseball fans. But it, it was just something wild. And like you said, it, it takes a whole team effort to play any stretch of games uh, to a high level, but especially uh, to win 13 in a row. It, it's something. And like you said, you, you mentioned a couple of the names on this team uh, in terms of their hitting core, and I'm, I'm sure their pitching core, a few of the guys like Sean Manan and other players stepped up in various key points as well. But this ace team for years now, this has been the MO, as you said, with uh, uh, going back to the whole money ball thing uh, that, that they really put into baseball now in terms of finding value in players, looking at the stats that not everyone looks at, knowing, uh, drafting well, being good with like international play, all these little things, the A's were one of the teams that made that popular in today's game. And so it's not a surprise to see a team like this, uh, such a well-run organization for the most part, when, when there are smart people up there, uh, they know what they're doing. They get the players that are pretty good, not the elite of the elite, obviously, because they can't pay them necessarily, but still pretty good, uh, pretty good and good enough to get the job done. And they just had a nice winning streak, get them back in the discussion in the AL West. I believe actually leading the AL West because of that winning streak up to this point in the season. Yes, sir. They are leading the AL West. I actually had them ranked 17th in my preseason rankings. I'm going to update those rankings this upcoming uh, beginning of the month. But I, it's just amazing because just to show uh, why they call it Moneyball, the Oakland Athletics actually have the 23rd highest payroll in all of baseball. So like you said, Jerry, they find these budget players and they use the analytics and they have these pitchers who are studs. Chris Bass says another one of these studs that you, uh, you were mentioning, Jerry, and they just, they make it work. So it, I had them low at first because uh, with the way they performed last year and they sold off most of their, uh, key players such as Marcus Simeon and Chris Davis. Those were the core guys who really made their uh, contending playoff team. But with what they got right now and what I'm seeing with this winning streak, I don't see how they can't continue it and end up being the return to their playoff pedigree ways, you know, because they're already first in the AL West, like you said. And looking at that, unless the Astros really uh, pick it up, I don't see anyone catching them. They got a four-game lead right now. Uh, excuse me, a one-game lead above Mariners. But I don't see the Mariners keeping it up. And they have a three-game lead above the Los Angeles Angels. They always find a way to screw it up. So, realistically, their only threat is the Astros. And the A's are hot. And when the A's are hot, they know what to do. You heard those other two win streaks I mentioned, Jurek. So, I don't see any reason why they can't hold on to that spot and return to the playoffs this year. Absolutely. And now with the confidence of that 13 game winning streak and with how they were winning these games, these guys can carry that over. And it doesn't even need to be long winning streaks, but having stretches of games where you win five of your next six, uh, six of your next eight, maybe if you drop one or two games, you come back and follow it up with three, four wins in a row before the next, like the getting, gaining the confidence of this long winning streak is only going to help these guys going forward and this team. And like you said, like, of course, baseball is a long season. We all know that. Obviously, if this was last mm -hmm. season, this would be a very big deal, this winning streak. But of course, this year, it kind of dies down a little bit because it, we're back to 162. But I still think to the same extent, however, uh, to see them play like this, it lets you potentially see like what kind of team they really are. I feel like the A's, they always run into a buzzsaw of a team in the AL because of, like you said, they have such a low payroll and usually the top tier teams have the higher payroll. But like, if you're looking at this season, the Yankees not doing so hot right now with that payroll. Mm -hmm. And so you're t uh, obviously it would take heaven, the earth and the moons to move and get this going. But let's say there's a scenario where the A's make the playoffs and let's say the Astros and the Yankees both aren't in actually, that would be a massive deal. Cause those are two teams in recent years and in franchise history that have consistently taken down this A's team. So uh, obviously super early in the season, but Hey, yeah. <laughs> A 13-game winning streak is still nothing to scoff at.
Exactly. You said it best, Jerg. And like I said, they're hot right now. They got exactly what you need. They got a bullpen who's looking good. Everyone was sleeping on their bullpen, including myself. So they got a bullpen that's putting it together. They got a starting lineup who's young, and they're just keeping it up from what they did last year. The bats woke up. That was all they needed, and here we are. So just to run through the rest of the league real quick, Jerg, the Brewers are also getting hot this year they're actually first in uh they're first in the nl central they won two the last three against the cubs and that's without their mvp christian yelich who i have on my fantasy team and he's screwing me over that's a different (laughs) story uh they have two of the best pitchers in the nl who aren't named jacob Degrom, and that is Kerbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. Kerbin Burns actually is the closest thing to Jacob DeGrom in terms of ERA. This guy has a .37 ERA for the season. And Brandon Woodruff as well has a 155. As we always talk about, Jerk, those anything under two, you're killing it. So they have one guy who is literally hand-in-hand with the number one pitcher in the whole entire, arguably MVP, but we'll get to that later in the show. And they got Brandon Woodruff, who himself could be a Cy Young contender any year. This is another team that I would keep my eye on anybody. And how can we forget, Jerk? We got to talk about the biggest thing of this whole weekend, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers and Padres matchup. Absolutely. You mentioned you, we were talking about teams getting hot. We're talking about players getting hot. Well, let's go right into it. Fernando Tatis Jr., is an absolute stud. We've all already Star. known this, and I can already say this. He's already worth the contract extension just off mm-hmm. of the last couple of games. Uh, the San Diego Padres and the Dodgers just recently had a four-game series where the Padres actually took three of four against Big Brother there. Uh, but the story of it was the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. homered in three straight games against them. I believe the first – I remember a bunch of different stats about it, but he's the first shortstop in uh, history to hit a home run in three consecutive games against the Dodgers. Uh, absolute power with his bat. We already know how dynamic and electric he is. And we've seen him have power before, but it, just on a different level. And think of the guys that he hit homers off of, James. And I'll let you take over it from here because – we, we 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 see the lower third. We know why we really want to talk about this matchup. But he hit home runs against Clayton Kershaw, Dustin May, and Trevor Bauer. So let's run it down. He hit two home runs in a game off of Clayton Kershaw, bona fide Hall of Famer. He hit a home run off of mm-hmm. Dustin May, one of the uh, the second best young pitcher, or maybe third best young pitcher, depending on it, how, what you feel uh, Julio Urias's uh, ceiling is. And then... So Dustin May, he's either second or third, hit a homer off him. And then last year's Cy Young winner, who was an absolute beast, has been pretty good for the Dodgers so far this season, Trevor Bauer. So to hit home runs off of those kinds of pitchers, a Hall of Famer, a Cy Young winner, and a top prospect, top young player is absolutely phenomenal. And it just shows how next level Fernando Tatis Jr. already is. But of course, with the home runs and why we what we want to see more from both of our respective sports, James, the electricity, the showmanship, mm-hmm. the pizzazz, the swag. Fernando Tetsis Jr. had it all. So I'm going to let you – let because th- we've been waiting on this. Let the people know <laughs> what Fernando Tetsis Jr. did to, you know, add a little bit of extra to his homers this past weekend. Well, just a fun fact to even sprinkle a little more magic into these homers. It, crazy. This is just insane to me. In 1999, for Fernando Tatis Sr., his father hit two grand slams and one home run on April 23rd and April 24th, both at Dodger Stadium. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit two home runs and one home run on the same exact dates at Dodger Stadium. What are the odds of that, of a father-son duo hitting two home runs one day and then the very next day hitting another at the same place 22 years apart? It's insane. But other than that, he hit the five home runs in three games. And Tatis and Bauer are what are going to save the sport. I tweeted this earlier this weekend. I said these two guys are single-handedly going to save the entire league. So the Padres took three out of four in the series versus the Dodgers. And just to show how intense this uh, whole matchup was, it actually had uh, – the Oscars, the Golden Globes, I forget. One of those movie <laughs> award shows. But it went right in contention with that. And that almost never happens. Let alone a regular baseball game. 
just against any TV show. We're talking about a baseball game against one of the most watched award shows in the country. And it went right there in viewership. So that's insane itself. And this is a rivalry that everyone's got to keep your eye on for an entire year. This is the new Yankees versus Boston. Call me crazy, but it's the same hometown teams. And they're both two of the best leagues teams in the league. So Tatis and Bauer moment. Here we are. First, Tatis hit a homer off of Bauer, and when he finished that homer, I didn't catch it at first, but on the replay, you saw he hit the classic, the beautiful Conor McGregor strut, where you walking with that little swag, loosey-goosey arm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please YouTube it. It's, it's just the most, well, most well-known strut in sports now. So after that, Tatis hit another homer on Bauer. And when he was rounding the bases this time, he was covering one eye. I had no idea what was that in reference to at first. I thought he said, like, ah, you got something in your eye or you're blind or something. But I forgot that earlier in spring training, when he was pitching against the Padres, Trevor Bauer was pitching with one eye closed, trying to show how good he was and that he was worth the money that he signed to. As a Mets fan, I still don't think he is. Mm -hmm. Different story from different day. So that was Tatis throwing a little bit back at him, covering the one eye. My whole favorite part about this whole thing is when asked about this, Trevor Bauer said he loved it. He said, this is exactly what we need. He said, I'm tired. He said he hated the unwritten rules. And Tatis, oh, I almost forgot. They had the whole uh, social media altercation, Jerg, where they went back and forth. Uh, Tatis, there's a video of Tatis where it looks like he took a peek at uh the catcher giving a signal of what pitch to throw uh-huh. chances of that actually happening are kind of slim but maybe he didn't know what the signs were regardless uh trevor bauer quoted that tweet and said don't worry just ask me next time and i'll let you know and then tatis responded back I'm pretty sure the tweet was like Gaeta Mi Nino, which is silence my son. And it was Trevor a picture of him holding a child and Trevor Bauer's face edited right on the child's face. That's outstanding. I, I lost it. And Tre- you knew Trevor Bauer loves it because he's that type of guy. And this is exactly what we need from the MLB. Me and you say it all the time, Jerry. They need to promote their players, and this is exactly what they're gonna do. If the MLB is gonna do it, the players are gonna do it themselves. I love it. So let's keep this going. I hope everyone keeps these same attitudes. But regardless, this was one of the best series you could have watched all weekend. Aside from that, the only one game that might have beat it was the Madison Bumgarner. He had a complete game with a no-hitter, arguably a no-hitter, because it was the second game of the doubleheader, and it only was seven innings. So by rule, the new MLB rule is, it is not considered a no-hitter. They let everyone know this. But if you don't hit the – if your opposing team doesn't hit the ball from the beginning of the game and you finish the entire game, seems like a no-hitter to me. Yeah, He got the complete game even though it was only seven innings, but he didn't get the no-hitter. So I don't understand that that much. Uh, just to bring up the Yankees for my other New York team, they won three or four this weekend. It looked like they're finally waking up. Cole versus Bieber, both of them were lights out. Unfortunately, I took the over on this game because for some reason I thought the Yankees were just going to wake up, but I took that out. It's all right. Uh, But the Yankee bats, besides that game, they're looking alive again. They're looking exactly what we expected. And, you know, this is exactly the Yankees, what they needed. They need to hit to win. If they're not hitting, they're not winning. And we've seen that in the playoffs time and time again. So whether this is another one of those cold streaks they go through or another hot streak, hopefully they can keep it up. And the last thing I wanted to run through was uh, Anthony Rizzo and Freddie Freeman had this really cool moment. Rizzo was mic'd up, and it was a rundown where Freddie Freeman was trying to go to third base, and then Rizzo was chasing him and said, Frederick, I'm coming for you, Freddie. And he <laughs> heard him dying while running, and he got him out. But the moment he got Freddie Freeman out, Freddie Freeman just lost it. He got on his knees and was just laughing. And that's the stuff you need to promote, Jerk. Like, just the players having fun. You got That's how you get the youth. You show it's a fun game, and then the kids want to play. Sometimes it's a little boring, yes, but you can't beat the moments like that, you know? 
Absolutely. And it's those kinds of moments that uh, promote a sport, promote positive images, which baseball really needs to do a lot better job of considering what the last like year and a half, two years has been with everything that's gone on off the field and things said from the commissioner and other people like we need to see more of that. And as one of our off the ball network colleagues that notes, Tatis, after this, goaded. I've already said it, James. I don't care what he does the rest of this contract. He can retire after this season, and it's still worth all the money that they paid him because mm-hmm. of just these moments. Like the, the just the pure excellence. Like and all the players you've named that were involved in stuff with Tatis, Bauer, uh, Rizzo, and Freeman in the Atlanta and Cubs thing. Like all of them are just absolutely like good players. Like they are all noted players. Freeman's been an NL MVP candidate in recent years because he's been good. Uh, Rizzo's a very good player. Of course, we know Bauer, Sayong, Tatis, uh, one of the faces of the league for the next generation. For all these guys to have these little moments and to share the back and forth, whether it be funny or like, a, I don't want to say serious in terms of Tatis and Bauer, but for like competition-based rivalry in terms of that. Like you need to see more of that in your sport and you need to promote it. As we've been saying, we we want baseball to succeed. And this is one of the ways that does it. And it's perfect because it's not just random players. Granted, you should just share it even if some of the random players do it, but it's your stars. I think back to last season or the season before when Tim Anderson had like a very nice stretch of games for the White Sox, still a very good player. But it's like, like you need to take advantage of when your exciting young players do stuff like that ultimately. So I'm very happy uh, that this happened. I'm very happy it went on social media. Promote it, promote it, promote it. That's what it's mm-hmm. all about for baseball. And and like you said with the Yankees, when it comes to them, like not just hitting, hitting home runs. Like the, the key to that team has been the long ball in recent years. So if, if they really start getting those bats going, Garrett Cole is a good enough guy. He'll give you a chance to win on any single night. If the rest of the starting rotation just does their job on a relatively nightly basis, give or take the, the, the off night here or there, they'll, they'll be just fine. None of us are expecting the Yankees to really like tank or uh, obviously. So we, We'll we'll wait on that. We'll definitely we'll get some updates and kind of like you teased. I can't wait for what you're gonna do with your MLB power rankings uh, in the future because that's gonna be fun. But you know, we mentioned some really big names here, James, and you kind of alluded to one of these guys earlier. So let's let's get straight to it. The Grom Watch, week three, and I think I may need to change the hashtag after this week from three to Grom, although I th- I still think it's a worthy subject to <laughs> to Degrom for MVP. Because Jacob mm-hmm. DeGrom is an absolute monster. He does it again. Stri- what do you strike out? 14 or 15 people against the na- Nationals? Was it 15. 15 strikeouts against the Nationals. His, his new he, career he, high. He, like you said last week, <laughs> this dude is just taking his game to another level every single week. His ERA, it was 0.45 last week. It's 0.31. This dude is just on another level. You know, I always believed, James, that in my lifetime, Clayton Kershaw was the best pitcher I had personally seen in at his peak years. I'm starting to think Jacob DeGrom may be the the new one for me because this season in a year where it's like, not to say you expect him to fall off, but like at some point you just wonder with these players, like what, what are they going to take? Just that slight dip, right? He's not dipping. Not anytime soon. It feels like he's an absolute beast. And I don't care if we're only a few games into the season in terms of his starts. I'm, I'm not a fan, nor do I buy into the notion of pitchers can't win the MVP because only limited. No, 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 no. These are all world numbers. These are all time numbers. You better give him the MVP if he finishes the season with an ERA of like one point something. And I don't care what the win-loss record is. That's on the Mets. That's not on DeGrom. Literally, whenever the ball is in his hands, they have a chance to win every single game. If only they can make clones of him. The Mets would be the World Series champions finally. So that's my take on that. James, obviously, I know you'll be a fan of it, but like – just put it into perspective for these people really fast. Like just this greatness that we're witnessing from DeGrom. Jared, my favorite part about this segment was you started it because you want to make a joke of my Mets, but here we are. And now we're killing it with Jacob DeGrom or keeping him here. He's staying. Uh, so the craziest part about this is I was talking about Shohei Atani earlier in the season saying how he was this year, uh, the modern day Babe Ruth. Forget that. Jacob DeGrom is the modern day Babe Ruth. Not only did this man have two hits for two RBIs in the game he started, but he's batting a 5-4-5 this season. So he literally, he's bad. Half the time he's up, he's batting better than half the time he's up. He's getting a hit guaranteed. This is the 180th big league start for him, and this is just the first time. Uh, 
This is the first time he's uh, had his career high of 15. He fell shy just twice before. Uh, the fourth and fifth times were actually the last two times he threw for 14 strikes. Right. Uh, he's the first pitcher in the modern era to have 50 strikeouts through first four starts. He just passed Shane Bieber, the Cleveland Indians, the, their ace pitcher for that record. He was holding that at 48 right before. Uh, he's just breaking the records left and right. Like you said, he has uh, an ERA. He lowered it to 0.31. He has a two-hit shutout. It was the fourth complete game of his career. He had three straight 14 Ks. That's tied for the longest uh, streak in MLB history. I'm getting lost at how many records he broke in this one start. And when asked how he does it, he said he just breaks it down one pitch at a time. And, you know, that's what the greats always say. You heard that from a Sandy Koufax. You heard that from Tom Seaver. And speaking of Tom Seaver, Jacob DeGrom. Tom Seaver, not even me as a Met fan. Tom Seaver is arguably the greatest pitcher to ever pitch in baseball. Jacob DeGrom currently has a lower career ERA than Tom Seaver did. So I don't know how else to put it than this guy is just, he's, he's the DeGrominator. He's the Terminator. He's a machine. Right. I wish we could make clones of him. Like you said, jerk. It'd be great for baseball. If we had multiple DeGroms really, and we kind of are, there are some very good pitchers, but he's just been on another level this season. Like you said, Seaver praising him, uh, and you're looking at what DeGrom is doing. And again, like he's doing this, look at some of his peers he goes up against. Like, even though they're both on the older side, like you, you still have Scherzer and Kershaw who are two like bona fide Hall of Famers, even though Verlander's hurt Hall of Famer, Garrett Cole, literally in the same borough, uh, well, not borough per se, but same, you know, he's trained right away in terms of the stadium. Like he's just next level. The fact we're talking about him for being the MVP it just goes to show how outstanding he is. And I'll admit, yes, I did make this as kind of a joke and a meme because of the Mets. And I'm still going to, you know, trash on the Mets because inevitably we're going to get the Jacob deGrom 15 strikeout game where they lose one nothing because they could do nothing for him unless he has to drive in his own own runs. I'd love to get the stat on how many of the runs and his starts are from him compared to the rest of the lineup. So uh, it, it, That's probably high up there, Jerk. I'm not going to lie. There's probably a lot of runs he scored that, for himself. I feel like it's half of them at least. So uh, obviously like this, this was meant to mean the Mets, not DeGrom at all. We all know DeGrom. We, I, I think he's also pretty lovable. Like we talk about lovable guys on the show. I don't think DeGrom has given us a reason to hate him unless he's just absolutely slaughtered your team on like a given night or so. Like aside, aside from that, he's just next level. So DeGrom for MVP, nowhere near uh hyperbole for that. And as James said, like obviously we wait for the career to be done, but if you want to make a case that he could be the best pitcher of all time, Hey, I'll listen to it because he's one of those guys that's playing that does deserve it. So last little bit of baseball news here, James, before we move on Uh, a little bit of a shakeup in the major league baseball world, the Colorado Rockies general manager, no longer with the team. Now for me personally, I don't have an opinion on this because the Rockies just aren't good. (laughs) (laughs) Like I know, I know it's that early season thing where they're not as bad as people say, and the Rockies fans are going to try to convince themselves that they have some sort of outside shot. Once again, unless the moons align perfectly and Saturn is in a specific place in the globe, uh, in space, it's not happening. So, but, but how does this impact the Rockies? If anyway, like, obviously they're going to have to look for a new general manager now, but what is the short-term, long-term impact? Like break, break down what happened for the people. So uh, it was their GM, and he was also their executive VP. His name was Jeff Brittick. He stepped down, and this is actually shortly two months after he traded, like I, uh, I've personally said before, the best third baseman in the league in Nolan Arenado. He's been the GM since 2014. Uh, this was a decision that should have happened a long, long time ago. Yes, he did bring the Rockies to their first uh, consecutive back-to-back playoff years in 2017 and 18. And they were a great team, but he never developed pitching for them. Yes, you could use the excuse that they're in Denver and due to the air in Denver, it makes pitches uh, easier to get knocked out of the park uh, due to the thin air and the elevation. But... He had drafted and signed some great players. He signed Charlie uh, Blackman for $20 million per year for five years. That's a great guy. That's a five-tool guy. Anybody wants him. Uh, he's probably going to get traded next year, realistically. Uh, he drafted Trevor Story. Trevor Story, another stud, arguably 
top three, if not the second best shortstop in the league. He's probably not getting re-signed next year. And then, like I said, he traded Nolan Arenado. So they're probably just going to blow up this whole thing. Like you said, Jerg, it's Colorado. They haven't been good for a couple of years, but they were right there, man. And just to show how bad GM this guy was, uh, his biggest free agent signings produced a negative 3.8 war, which stands for wins above average replace, uh, wins above replacement. My apologies. So basically that means uh, whoever is starting at that position shows how many more wins you will get or how many less wins you'd get compared to your average player. Something in the analytics show that, but regardless, a negative 3.8 is not what you want. You're trying to get that plus. And that was with, 240 million spent over five seasons. So yeah, that's not, you could say Colorado's a small market team. This man was spending money. He just clearly wasn't spending it right. One of his biggest signings was actually Daniel Murphy, former Met, and this guy's already retired due to his knee injuries that everyone knew coming into Colorado. So good riddance uh, is probably how Denver's feeling. I don't see this guy getting a job anytime soon again, Uh, but Hopefully Colorado can figure it out because they did have talent. Hopefully they could keep story. Like I said, if they can't, then I don't even know because they got five players in return for that Nolan Arenado trade. But just to show how bad uh, GM this guy was, he did like one of your hockey contracts jerk, but he didn't do it on the good side. He paid 50 million to get rid of Nolan Arenado. And that, like I said, is the best third baseman in the league. So I don't understand why you're going to pay to get rid of him, but that's what he did. So he helped, he, they helped the Cardinals pay the first two years that Arnado's yeah. going to be in St. Louis. Like, like, like St. Louis is a team that's usually wise with their money. They don't have to care because of the fact that you know, it's like, oh, 50 million mm-hmm. from Colorado. Thank you. Like, like you said, I hate when. Here's my thing in professional sports, it's free market, right? Like, as general managers go, they're, you're going to see plenty of guys mess up. They are free to mess up, right? Like, they, they are free to do so. But it, it's what's going to get me angry, and you kind of mentioned it, like, he's going to get a job again somewhere. Not as a GM. Not as a GM right away. But, like, if you look at sports, these guys tend to get – like, this is my thing. When a guy is that bad, I don't want to hire them in any role in my organization. Maybe I'll let him handle, the, like, the tickets, uh, you know, when people coming in. <laughs> but that's about it. Like, I hate – I hate when very bad general managers, and I'm talking about next level bad, like, you know, trading five draft picks for old players and those draft picks become all stars bad, like very, or, or never drafting an offensive line to protect your franchise quarterback type bad, like those kinds of GMs, they should not be allowed in teams organization again, but they will, they do this guy, as long as there's nothing bad or terrible behind the scenes that he did, like uh, it seems a lot of a few executives here and there tend to have the issue with in major league baseball He's probably going to find a job relatively soon, not not in an important role, but like some advisor role that if he works his way up, if he pays his dues, he'll be back as a GM within the next five, 10 years. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about the Rockies. Like you said, they should just blow it up. And, you know, for that, they might as well get some high draft picks in the upcoming MLB drafts, get some young players, replenish the farm system and see what you could do. Speaking of high draft picks, James, of course, it is the week of the NFL draft and um when it comes to that of course we're excited you you graciously in a podcast that i do separate from the off the ball network platform uh you graciously helped uh with me and some of my friends do a mock draft your presence was very much appreciated uh on that and we we of course broke down all the picks we made and since then a lot of stuff has happened so we're gonna do quick rapid fire here of just like your thoughts on any rumors or things that may or may not happen or something that did happen uh, so we're going to start with the recent reports that have broken within the last 24 hours. Of According to Ian Rappaport, it apparently seems as if the San Francisco 49ers have finally narrowed down their choices for the third overall pick. Between Trey Lance and uh, Mac Jones, uh, the quarterbacks from North Dakota State University in Alabama. Now, we actually spoke about this last week, so we're more in-depth stuff. Refer back to last week. Listen back to last episode, that segment. Uh, so, James, really quick, from now that we apparently know they're the final two choices, what do you, do you make anything of that? Does that change your mind? Because you actually, in that mock draft I was talking about, you helped out with, you picked, uh, well, no, you didn't pick, but Trey Lance went third, and you agreed mm-hmm. with it. So what are your thoughts about the recent news? Do you think Trey Lance should be the guy, and will he be the guy? Uh, 
I think he should be the guy. Do I think he'll be the guy? I don't know, man. There's just so many smoke screens here. Who knows what to believe? Because they're saying, yes, it could be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. They could go Justin Fields for all we know. So realistically, I don't get the point of the smoke screen. But of the two, you would assume Trey Lance would be the one they go due to just pure athletic ability. Unless they really do believe in that whole Mac Jones plays exactly like uh, Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins, who were players who excelled in Kyle Shanahan's offensive scheme previously. So I hope they go Trey Lance, man, because that's kind of crazy. You trade up to third for Mac Jones. Yeah, yeah. And obviously we know it's going to be quarterback. Like you don't trade up for this for any other position. Three first-round picks is the thing. A three first-round pick deal, you don't trade up unless it's a quarterback. They're going to go quarterback here. Like I want it to be Trey Lance because I think like he he it feels like he's the more perfect fit of their whole notion. Um, you know, sit behind Jimmy G for a year because they don't want to give up on Jimmy G. Or at least in the words of Kyle Shanahan, if he's alive by Sunday, then you know there's a better indication on if he'll be the starter. That was cold, man. I can't believe he really said that. I don't even know if he'll be alive. So they're like, who says that? To be like, fair, he said that to everyone. And But I, I will say George Kittle had an absolutely outstanding uh, comment. He was like, coach, if I'm still alive on Sunday, I'll, I'll make sure to hit you up. <laughs> George Kittle's absolutely amazing on Twitter. So um, th- there was that. It, like you said, like I, I feel like we're in agreement. I think we both want it to be Trey Lance. I think we, we're both convinced at this point it's not going to be Justin Fields. Sorry. Mo, Jeff, and Ohio State fans, it probably won't be just based off of these reports. Obviously, we'll see where it goes. I hope it's I, look. I, I'm I can't I shouldn't say I hope because like it's unfair to Mac Jones. He's never done anything wrong to me. But just on on surface, Trey Lance fits the more modern quarterback game. And while Kyle Shanahan has tended to drift towards QBs like Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo, and he had Matt Ryan, which we'll get to the Falcons in a moment, like. He saw what Mahomes did to him. He sees what Russell Wilson does to him two times a year. He has to believe that these new generation type quarterbacks could add a better fold to the offense. He's such a good offensive mind. I don't think this should be Mac Jones. I just don't. So obviously, like you said, James, we both have what we think, what we know. We know nothing. We don't have direct (laughs) sources. So all of us will wait and see what happens come the draft. And we're obviously very excited. Live draft show for Off the Ball Network, by the way, going to be hosted by uh, Cruz Island himself yes. for the draft. So make sure y'all tune into that, by the way. Shout out Cruz again. He made the outstanding logo for our podcast that you guys see on a weekly basis. So, you know, ma- make sure you tune into that <laughs> come draft night. So uh, next topic, like I said, the Atlanta Falcons. Now, uh, this is not to say what they're going to do with the fourth pick. They could go either way in terms of uh, drafting or trading. Uh, but apparently reports came out today that there's apparently re-sparked interest in Julio Jones potentially getting moved. Obviously, I don't think it's anything serious. It's probably just generic, like, opening discussions. But, James, what are the odds that we could actually somehow see a Julio Jones deal break down within the next coming days? Uh, within the next coming days, I'm not sure. But maybe after the draft, I could definitely see something. Because I saw another rumor reporting that the Falcons are actually – highly considering Kyle Pitts at number four. So if they're doing that, that's another dynamic weapon. And they're probably looking to shed that Julio contract to save that cap space because in the NFL, it's all about moving these contracts and making room. So if they do that, you can extend Matt Ryan's contract as well. Play a little more of those uh, fluff years in the back that were a new big thing this year. And you have Kyle Pitts, you have Calvin Ridley, and you have, they have another, their third wide receiver. I forget what his name is, but he is no slouch whatsoever. Uh, me personally, do I think this is the right move for Atlanta? No, I would go quarterback, whichever is left of the bunch, because if it's Justin Fields or Trey Lance that are still there, that is more than a great pick to sit behind Atlanta, uh, to sit behind Matt Ryan the same way that the 49ers would do with Jimmy G and whoever they are planning to draft. So I would totally go quarterback, but hey, Anything happen, I could totally see Julio being traded due to the Kyle Pitts tra- uh, draft pick. Right, right. And, you know, we, we'll definitely wait and see on that. I actually, I was uh, speaking about this to one of my coworkers at my job today because he brought it up. Like, I think, I don't know what the chances are because we are so close to the draft, but what are the chances that one of these low lottery pick teams trades their l- low first round teams, trades their first rounder for him? We, we just saw a trade happen. The Orlando, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs traded for Orlando Brown Jr., Uh, from the Baltimore Ravens, gave up several draft picks, so obviously it would take more than just the late first. But we've already just seen a a similar deal like this happen. Granted, Brown is not on a big money contract. He will most likely get paid that by Kansas City 
relatively soon within the coming weeks of course they have to figure out all their cap wizardry like just think about like uh in one of the marvel movies tony stark using all the 3d stuff and like moving stuff like that that's what that's what the chiefs are going to do to figure out like how they could fit orlando brown's uh, orlando brown jr's contract into the, the cap so don't worry chiefs fans you guys will figure that out um but but when it comes to that like i i honestly i would love to see julio jones get traded like near the draft or it would be electric if we had a draft day trade with a Hall of Fame wide receiver get traded, right? Like, so I, I, I'm i going to hope for it because I love – with sports, there's entertainment. I want to see some entertainment aspects of it. So I, I would definitely love to see uh, a trade happen. But like you said, like, what are the likelihood – what's the likelihood? It's, it's kind of low. Maybe like you said, perhaps after the draft, it, it makes it easier for you to work the contracts and stuff uh, with teams – Potentially that could be something that happens or even, and like you said, you mentioned Kyle Pitts and I think Kyle Pitts will potentially be the way to go, but could Jamar chase real quick, could Jamar chase be in consideration just because you're shipping out a wide receiver. It would make sense in theory to bring one in. Doesn't necessarily need to be that one for one because of how dynamic Pitts is, but could you see a scenario where chase could be the guy at four? I could see a scenario like that, but with the way everyone's just raving about, Kyle Pitts, he's he's arguably the number one talent in this entire draft, they're saying. So to not go Kyle Pitts at four, or if you were going to go Jamar Chase, to not possibly trade down maybe a pick or two to try and get some more draft capital or something and then go that route. But I feel like to draft Jamar Chase and then trade Julio Jones is kind of a lateral move more than to bring the dynamic uh, difference that Kyle Pitts makes because not only – uh, is he a dynamic talent? If they do go a different direction in quarterback with Matt Ryan, a tight end, especially a dynamic tight end, is a quarterback's number one friend if they end up bringing a new rookie quarterback or whoever it may be next year. Right, right, for sure. So different ways Atlanta can go with this will be interesting to see what happens with their pick. Speaking of uh, first-round picks, a couple teams have multiple first-round picks in this draft. The Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and just recently, of course, the Baltimore Ravens uh, now have uh, multiple uh, firsts in this draft. When it comes to things like that, uh, James, I want to throw this to you. How critical is it for these teams to nail these second first-round picks that they have? And for, for any of these teams, not all four, but like for one in particular, what position do you think any like Miami, who actually was almost a playoff team or Baltimore, like what, what should they focus on with those second firsts in, in their specific situation where they're actually a playoff caliber team with that second first rounder? Uh, with Miami, if I'm looking, if I have that second first, what I'm looking at is either side of the trenches. Uh, I'm looking more towards the offensive line because you want to protect Tua and give him the best opportunity to use his new weapons and whoever you take. Uh, well, actually, it depends because if in, they don't end up taking a offensive weapon in Kyle Pitts or a Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, whoever it may be they take, and they end up taking a Penesua, then you go on the defensive side. But if you end up going an offensive weapon with that first round pick, that first first round pick, I will go offensively on the second one because you want to protect Tua to give him the chance to use these new weapons in Will Fuller, uh, Devontae Parker returning, who arguably could be a number one wide receiver, but he gets hurt too often, in my opinion, to be a number one wide receiver. So you like a more big body type of wide receiver like a Kyle Pitts or a Jamar Chase. But you would like to buy more time for Tua and to support that run game that they have down there in Miami. Yeah, and I, I think when you think of the Baltimore Ravens, now obviously uh, off the Ball Network mock draft completed uh, this past weekend, I actually had both Baltimore Ravens pick. I went with a wide receiver with the first pick. I, I decided to select Rashad Bateman because he was actually still on the board at that point. And then with the second pick, I actually won Gregory Russo. Looking back at it, I have a little bit of buyer's remorse on that. I love Gregory Russo, but maybe not the best pick I could have made. I probably, looking back, would have went either with Aziz Ojolare because I believe he was on the board, or an offensive lineman. I think with a team like Baltimore, when you have those picks late, like a lot of people are talking about packaging and trading up, which I, I could see. But the thing is, is that like when you go past the first three receivers in this draft, who, who are you going to package and trade up for? I love Terrence Marshall Jr. I actually selected him because I had the Tennessee pick in that mock as well. I selected him to Tennessee, right? So I do believe in Terrence Marshall Jr. I think he's very talented. A certain team, you know, Lambeau Field, could use a guy like a Terrence Marshall Jr. But at the same time, is there a wide receiver in this uh, draft class you you give up both first-round picks for us outside the top three? I just I, – I can't no. definitively say on paper. And if you can't definitively say it on paper – 
I think you need to be a little uh, shy with it when it comes to making the move. So obviously it's a wait and see there, but critical to uh, hit these second rounders, especially with the Jags and the Jets both having two uh, two first rounders as well, I should say. Uh, they're both going to get young quarterbacks, we know. So whatever they can do to help on either side of things, uh, it, it'll be key to help those guys. Whether it's an offensive lineman, we've spoken about this a lot in, in these drafts. Off the ball network, we love our offensive linemen. We picked a good fit <laughs> in uh, our round one mock. Uh, James, the mock you and I were part of separately. We had a lot of offensive linemen off the board. I think we had like six or seven went off in the first round. Yes, yes. So I can't – it'll be very interesting to see where the draft goes on that aspect of things. Uh, But it's all about, you know, making the right moves and and protecting your investments. And when your investment's quarterback, like, you can't blame a team for going offensive line. So maybe last little topic here. Now, I don't have an odd. I would love if we did. But let's say hypothetically, James, because you bet here and there, right? You're in the beautiful state of New Jersey. And I say beautiful because it actually allows you to bet, unlike me, who's in NYC right now. Like – it, Soon if, to be, though. It, I'm happy. If you see a prop <laughs> bet for the draft of how many offensive linemen get taken, let's say they put the prop bet at like six and a half over under for offensive linemen. I know technically you, there's not a half offensive line, but you get that's yeah. typically how you need it goes. for the line. Yeah. So really quick, would you go over or under that for the draft for the first round? I would have to go under, I would say, just because to, to see. I mean, I know we did it. In our mock draft that we did on Thursday, but it was just the way the draft fell, and it was certain situations like I had that Pittsburgh Steelers pick, and I mm-hmm. said as I made the pick, I may be reaching a little bit, but due to the circumstances of the Steelers losing three offensive linemen this uh coming off season, I felt it was a necessary move for them to make. So if the draft falls kind of like that, where top five linemen were gone, I think. Before the 21st pick, I want to say, Jerg, it was something crazy like that. But it's something very realistic with this group of offensive linemen. This is probably the deepest position in the entire draft. So I could see it going five. I could even see it going six. But to break that six and a half at seven, I'm going to have to take the under. Right. It it would take a bold move for that to happen. And, you know. Hey, sometimes bold moves do happen, so it's a wait and see kind of deal when it uh, when it comes to the NFL draft. But you know, it, I think something to keep a part of. A lot of people are going to make a lot of bets on draft day, uh, so we'll, we'll wait and see when when it comes to that. But I definitely like. I, I just imagine like with all the all the hype around the offensive linemen, like there has to be a prop bet somewhere, like FanDuel, DraftKings, whoever. Like, like so, someone someone has to make it. So obviously, wait and see on that. So moving on, before we get to our Final segment of the show. Again, our, we debuted our first ever segment in show history last week, and we will bring it very shortly. But real quick, I have to bring in my hockey news, of course, because I am the hockey guy and is contractually obligated that I always need to say something hockey-related whenever I'm on. Obviously, that's a joke, but also partly serious because I love talking about hockey. So uh, this is just minor news here, uh, but the NHL playoffs are slowly finally starting to uh, take shape with a lot of teams around like the 12 games remaining uh, left in the season mark or so, give or take with certain teams, Vancouver, uh, looking at you, buddy. Um, We're going to start to see the playoffs, not crystallize in terms of like final standings, but we're going to start to see the teams finally clinch. So the first three teams to clinch the playoffs uh, for the NHL this season happened within the last week. Uh, The Vegas Golden Knights, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Minnesota Wild all clinched their playoff spots this past week. Now, uh, I mentioned those three teams for a reason. They actually are all in the same division. Uh, That happened in part because all three of the teams kind of unintentionally helped one another where a lot of the teams they faced were the lower teams. And so because of how the math works, the teams below you need to be a certain amount of points away in the standings for you to clinch a playoff spot. And so all the teams essentially kind of helped each other. Uh, Vegas has just been absolutely beating up on the Kings and the Ducks the last couple of weeks. Um, The Minnesota Wild recently had series with the Coyotes and the Sharks and the Colorado Avalanche. Not a lot of games the last few weeks from them. They've been limited because of COVID uh, cancel, not cancellations, postponements with their schedule. So they uh, haven't got to play a lot, but they've won when they've played the last, I think their last four games, which they played the last two weeks, I think they won three of them. So ultimately the Avs helped out a little bit there and all three of them make the playoffs. Uh, No one technically eliminating the standings yet. The fourth seed is relatively up for grabs for the most part in that division as it is in every single division. So we'll see what happens there. If I have to look at every division and just kind of guess like what are the next dominoes to fall, I could see the central division within this next week, start to clinch their playoff spots. I think the hurricanes, the Panthers and the lightning are just far above everyone else. I think Detroit is very close to elimination 
and the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't think they'll be able to catch up soon. So I think within the next uh, week, week and a half, I think the first three spots in the Central will get locked up in terms of who clinches. And I think the... If I had to guess, I think the North Division, Toronto has the biggest lead of any division leader this season at this point with eight, which is actually a big deal because they weren't looking so hot like a week or two ago, uh, Mm -hmm. as I ripped them last week for losing to Vancouver. Um, (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) But but when it comes to that, they they still have the largest lead of any division leader. That just goes to show, like, you could kind of argue both ways. The the North hasn't been as great this season in terms of the lower tier teams, but also like Toronto, they've stepped up when need be, and they – in my power rankings, if you want to look at them on offtheballnetwork.com, uh, they beat Winnipeg twice this week, which really made a difference in the standing. So they'll probably be clinching a spot uh, relatively soon within the next couple of games. Uh, so we're, we're going to start to see it. I'll just give minor updates like that uh, as the, the next two weeks go on, because we're in, we're in the home. We're slowly getting to the home stretch here uh, about, I think May 8th or May 10th. I think May 10th was supposed to be the final legitimate games, but because of what happened with Vancouver, the NHL is going to see how many of Vancouver's remaining games matter and play from there. And I think a couple other teams because of COVID uh, postponements may be playing across uh, uh, past May 10th. But aside from that, like the NHL playoffs right around the corner here. I'm of course, I'm excited for it. Uh, James, I know we're, we're, you're Vegas Golden Knight fans. I know you're excited. You you got you guys have a legitimate chance this year, and so we sure always have a legitimate chance, Jerry. That's why I switched from the New Jersey Devils the moment they got created. And I said I'm going to. They had cool jerseys, if I'm being honest. That was the main reason I went. <laughs> and little did I know they were going to end up going to the finals that year. So here I am, maybe this year. This is the year third times. No, this is our fourth year, I think. Right? Yeah, fourth year. Fourth times the charm. <laughs> Well, they made it to the finals in year one. They just lost to the Capitals, who had that little team of destiny vibe. Uh, yes. And of course, everyone was rooting for Alex Ovechkin to, to get the mm-hmm. cup. So you, you, you couldn't fight that off. And they were competitive. So moving on. And it's funny you mentioned becoming a fan, you know, switching over, because now it's time. Last segment of the show, and of course, the first ever segment in show history, How to Be a Fanatic with Bars and Jerg. Uh, over the next 30 or so weeks, myself and James, we are going to pick one team from each league, the MLB and the NHL, and just basically break down five reasons why you should consider becoming a fan of this team. Uh, There's going to be in, I want to believe in a few weeks, there's going to be some themes here and there uh, as to uh, what teams we're going to pick. So I will get things started really fast. James, uh, you opened the floor last week. I think it's only fair. I'll take my turn this week. And, you know, we got so West Coast heavy on baseball. We're keeping it on the West Coast. So let's go with the loss Angeles Kings, James. Uh, so five reasons why you would want to be an LA Kings fan if you don't have a team. So first of all, competent management. For many years, so many sports fans have had to deal with terrible mismanagement after mismanagement moved by their franchises. I'll have you know, in recent years, the LA Kings, they're actually they're recovering from some mismanagement that happened uh, about the middle of the 2010s decade, but they're recovering strong. And part of the reason is because unlike a lot of teams that actually hire former players of them, to do the the work the LA Kings actually hired two former players who are actually doing a good job uh, at being in the management position Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake have been uh, very key roles in the front office for about a decade or so now at this point uh, but both are really like they're the top two decision makers from everything I I know especially Rob Blake being the general manager and uh, I think VP of hockey Ra- uh, hockey relations or uh, president of hockey operations I believe so uh, they've been doing an outstanding job for the Kings and it, it's not great right now. They're obviously they're not going to make the playoffs this season, barring some sort of miraculous run. But still, uh, a good team. You know, to have two guys you can trust in your front office—that's a lot more than what most teams can say. So that's one reason you want to be a Kings fan. You can have faith in the front office. Number two, let's go to it. Recent team success. Obviously, the last couple of years have been tough for this team, but they made the playoffs quite a few times in the 2010s decade, winning two Stanley Cups. So this is not a team trying to get like a losing culture out of itself, like a Buffalo Sabres or like the New York Jets, like things like that. This is a team that has had success recently, has fallen on hard times, but they're not, they're not a loser. They're, they're not recovering from that. They're rebuilding. They're not, they, and not rebuild of total blow up that they're rebuilding, right? This leads me to, well, my, uh, with number two, like they still have notable players on the team. Jonathan Quick, Anze Kopitar, Drew Doughty, all very talented players, you know, if you're the type that wants to just tank, like obviously you don't want them on the team because they help you win games. Uh, but to have those guys there be like the bridge for the next generation of players on the team, that's a massive deal. So um, outstanding job for the Kings not to just fully give up on it because that that could be how you 
become a losing culture, right? Giving up on all the veterans. They kept certain guys in part because they have to do the contracts, but they've kept a, a couple of guys and, and they're making a difference. These young players are getting better learning from champions. So it's only good for the Kings. Number three, really quick. They have a very good young core. They had the worst farm system in the league for a couple of seasons uh, in, in the middle of the decade. They have rebuilt that. They have quite a few very good young players, especially down the middle at the center position. Quinton Byfield and Alex Turcott, uh, each of the last two drafts. Very good prospects. Both translate. They'll be very talented. I, essentially, the one in, they're going to be on the top two forward lines in, on this Kings team for years to come in the future. Uh, both guys, they didn't get to make their uh, Kings debuts this season, but watch out for tw- uh, 2021, 2022. That's going to be a big year for LA King hockey. So, you know, watch out, Kings fans. Uh, number four, dude, their jerseys are just absolutely amazing. I'm not a Los yes. Angeles Kings fan, but they have such amazing jerseys, man. The, their current jerseys are very nice. They're all black jerseys. They're white jerseys. They're black and gray jerseys. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, their retro jerseys back from like the 90s are absolutely phenomenal. I actually kind of like their old logo here and there more than the new one sometimes because it just looks really good on a jersey, you know? So it, it, it's clean. It's fresh. It looks beautiful. Their reverse retro jerseys, the NHL uh, introduced them. The purple and gold. Oh, my God. God, it's so beautiful on a, on a high I haven't game. seen that yet. I got to check that out. You got to Google it, James. I'm telling you, you may want to buy one after you see it. The purple and gold jerseys are just a, a work of art when it comes to what the Kings did. So they did an amazing job with theirs. Uh, and the fifth one, just the history of the Kings. If, if you want to be part of a team that's made a little bit of history, that's been important to history, uh, this is the team that helped introduce uh, hockey in a large way to the West coast and to the sun and to the, you know, sunny States when Wayne Gretzky was traded to the Los Angeles Kings in the late eighties, that sparked a boon in the West coast for hockey after Wayne Gretzky was traded in the following years, you eventually got new teams to all the sunny States. You got new teams uh, in the San Jose sharks, the Anaheim ducks, and you got teams in the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, uh, the Minnesota North Stars going to Dallas and being the Dallas Stars. You got all these teams and eventually the Vegas Golden Knights all these years later. Who would have thought that hockey teams in Florida, Texas, Las Vegas, mm-hmm. like that was not anywhere near a possibility in the 80s. The Wayne Gretzky to Los Angeles deal made that happen. More USA-born players uh, in America now, uh, more USA born NHL players in the NHL now more than ever. A lot of them West Coast base and train. Like California has pumped out some nice prospects here and there over the last decade or so. Uh, I think, I, I believe it was the 2010 draft or 2011 draft, two California born players were drafted in the first round. Now, granted, were they great NHL players? Not necessarily, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it actually mattered that West coast born players were drafted in the first round as something you wouldn't have imagined happening so many years ago. So when you talk about a team that has a bright future, that has competent management and has played an integral role in the, in the recent history of the game and its evolution, Los Angeles Kings are the way to go. Jarek, I'm real mad. You told me about this Jersey, man. I'm looking at it right now and I, I got a cop one. You're not lying. <laughs> Dude, this is, this is so tough, but Speaking of tough, let's talk about the toughest team to beat, which the Padres did three or four games this weekend in the Los Angeles Dodgers. Number one reason for being a Los Angeles Dodgers fanatic is they are the reigning World Series champions. Yes. Was it in a shortened COVID season? Yes, it was. But the Los Angeles Dodgers have been in the World Series. I believe it's three out of the last four years. That's insane in itself right there. That's an achievement in itself, regardless if they lost two of the three times. Number two reason to be a Los Angeles Dodgers fan is they have the best caliber of talent money can buy in the NLB. And that's exactly what they do. They are not shy about spending their money whatsoever. And they do that in MVP Mookie Betts. They just signed, as I previously stated, Trevor Bauer to that ridiculous contract i believe it's two uh two years 84 million ridiculous they have clayton kershaw who you mentioned previously uh previously arguably one of the greatest pitchers in mlb history they they have uh cody bellinger who actually just recently got hurt they have arguably the best shortstop in the league in Corey seager they're just so deep it's ridiculous they have 
uh, what's his name? Uh, Justin Turner at third base. Like the the list goes on and on. They have Will Smith at catcher. Uh, the names are just coming. Uh, Max Muncie. Like, look at this. Like, I just can't stop. It's just there's no end to the talent in this team. So yes, are you going to be a bandwagon fan if you hop on this team? Yes, but it's totally okay. No one's going to judge you. It's the way to go sometimes when you're becoming a new fan in a new sport. So number three reason why you should be a Los Angeles Dodgers fan is same thing as you, Jerg. They have the number one selling jersey of all time in MLB history. So there's nothing better than the classic Dodgers blue with the red baseball. And it's just, it's nothing beats it. Number they do a four. good job of retros, right? Like, I think they've had some pretty good retros in recent years. Oh, yeah, they got some great retros. Uh, nothing like this Kings retro, though. Let me tell you, Jerry. <laughs> I don't know which one you're talking about, where it's just the crown or the one that actually says Kings across the chest, but those are both tough, and I got to get both of them, actually. I think one's the home, one's the away. This is... Oh, jerk, you're going to make me spend like $300 here, man. This is insane. <laughs> <laughs> but back to, back to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The number four reason why you should be a Dodgers fan is actually the history in it. Not only uh, is the Dodgers one of the most winning pedigree teams of all time, is they actually were they were originally in Brooklyn as the Brooklyn Dodgers were the first team to sign the first African-American into the MLB in Jackie Robinson, which is the reason why the number 42 is retired in all of baseball. So it's more of a reason you should be a Jackie Robinson fan, but it was the Dodgers who signed them. So that is my number four reason why you should be a Dodgers fan. And my number five reason is chances are they're going to win a world series this year. So yeah, you got to do it. Hop on the bandwagon. No one's judging you. Just do it. While you can, you were you've been a Dodgers fan for years. If anyone asks, and just name all the players I name, I name, and keep watching this uh, podcast because I'm just gonna keep talking about the Dodgers. Because if it's not them winning, it's gonna be the Padres. If it's not the Padres winning, we're just gonna talk about the Padres and the Dodgers uh, playing each other all season. And this is literally the matchup that's gonna save baseball. I'm gonna keep saying it over and over. Absolutely. If we, if we could get an NLCS matchup between these two teams, it's it'd be tough. But man, it would be so good for baseball if we could. I, I think baseball should change the rules just for this one season, so we guarantee get Dodgers Padres. I think I think they should just do it. Like, just I don't care if it'd be corrupt. I, I don't care. Just just make it happen. This is what we want to see happen. See, MLB wouldn't do that, though, Jer, because we know they're not promoting their sport good enough. Yes, they throw a second base runner in extra innings. They make seven inning doubleheaders. They just don't know what they're doing, Jer. They, yes, the common sense would be do everything you can to make the best matchups, but they're not going to end up doing it. Sadly, sadly, and also kind of sadly, our show will now be coming to an end this week. But in all seriousness... Uh, another successful show, in my opinion. I hope all of you enjoyed it. I know the two of us enjoyed it. You know, we keep going strong with these episodes. We're going to keep promoting our sports. Obviously, as the MLB season goes, we're going to try to hit on all the, the hot button stuff as best as we can. Uh, it's tough in 162 games, but I got the perfect guy with me to help me out. Like I said, Mike Trout of talking baseball alongside me. So I think we'll be good. And of course, as we edge ever closer to the Stanley cup playoffs, the best trophy in sports, uh, you know, I'll definitely update you guys as it goes. And then once we hit the playoffs, Oh, it's going to be so beautiful. It's just going to be a beautiful thing. And I, I playoff hockey. I think it's the perfect time we started the podcast, James, because playoff hockey in its purest form that's going to be what could get a lot of eyes turning to hockey. So I think the both of us are excited. Uh, as always, both our sports are really, I think baseball is about to get into its real first gear after, you know, I think the first month or so mm-hmm. is like that. Everyone needs to just get everything out of their system, get, get bats moving, get arms going. I think baseball, I think certain teams are about to really bring up their level of play after the first like month or so of the season. So I think baseball is going to hit a good time. Uh, hockey's about to hit a good time. It, it's perfect for both of us, man. Like you said, April is basically extended spring training. That's the way most of these teams look. So I think baseball is going to hit a stride, and I can't wait for this NHL playoff because, like I've said previous episodes, NHL playoffs is the best playoffs there is. It's the only time – no offense, Jerry, I'm sorry. It's really the only time I'm watching the NHL on a daily basis. But you got to stop anything you're doing if you catch a game. And keep watching how to be a fanatic to figure out which one of these playoff teams you want to pick and root for. 
are the Kings making it this year? No, the Kings aren't making it this year, right? Probably. All right, so Vegas. We'll start getting go. playoff Golden teams. Nights. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> I'll start getting some playoff teams in this How to Be a Fanatic segment. Don't worry, people. So once again, thank you all for joining us. James, real quick, plug where the people can follow you, man. As you guys see, you can follow me right there at Bars Talks. Keep an eye out for my MLB Power Rankings dropping in the beginning of next month. Go check out Jerg's NHL Power Rankings. Like he said previously, it's kind of crazy. You got four warm uh, weather cities in the top five. NHL taking a weird direction, but shout hey, let's Jeff. do it. Shout out, shout out Jeff for pointing that out. VP Jeff, yes, shout you out. Um, and shout out Cruz once more for our cover art. Always appreciating that. It's one of the most fire logos I've seen. And once again, guys, please follow us, rate us, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, leave a comment, leave a review, and please follow us at Bunts and Bruises on Twitter because we need to get some more views, and that's where you're going to see us posting all of our uh, videos, audio. You're going to see my power rankings, jerk power rankings. It's just basically the quickest way to get to us. And last but not least, make sure to always follow anybody on Off the Ball Network. Follow the Off the Ball Network Twitter because you'll see when all of us go live, you turn on your notifications. And check out the website because that's all the greatest content from betting, UFC, baseball, basketball. And we just started a new Knicks podcast. Make sure you check that out for newest members of Off the Ball Network. Absolutely. At JerkK40 for me on Instagram and Twitter uh, for any of my specific stuff. At Bunsen Bruises on Twitter. Uh, for our show stuff that we'll, uh, of course, we'll be sharing uh, the the account. We'll share all of our, you know, little stuff that we do. I'm excited for what James is going to pump out here soon with the, the MLB power ranking update for himself. Of course, my weekly NHL power rankings, all that stuff can be found with off the ball network.com. Go to off the ball network.com for your sports stuff. Follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram as well. Off the ball network has Instagram. We're everywhere guys. So you want to mm-hmm. make sure you, you get to us, hit, get those uh, notifications whenever we post uh, an article whenever we make the post on Instagram, uh, on when we go live on Facebook and Twitter, all the guys shows. Shout out to everyone at Off the Ball Network, of course, as always, and shout out to all of you for listening to uh, to us this week and listening to us every single week when we uh, come out here to provide content. So thank you all once again for joining us. We'll be back next week. 